Let's begin with a drum set. Listen for an explosive live sound. The snare should be crisp and the cymbals should ring. Time is 8.01 a.m. You are listening to and watching Good Morning Aurora, the second largest city's first daily news podcast. Um, as I just mentioned, we have the coolest job in the world. We really do. We really do. Uh, I love what we do. 
We love tuning in with all of you great people. Johnny Felix, Judge Renee Cruz, how are you? Uh, Davi, Samantha Danner, good morning to you. Jennifer Ryan Maiden. Uh, we've got a, ga- a great guest here with us today. We got coffee, we got water, and we got each other. That's what we got. Uh, our guest today is a friend of the show back for her second time, Brooke Shanley. How are you? Hi, Curtis. It's so great to be back. Good to see you. Um, so we've got some things to talk about. The uh, We'll talk about the Kendall County Democrats. Mm-hmm. We'll also talk about education, um, your background as a teacher, and the differences in uh, you know districts and everything like that. But for those who are unfamiliar with you, please introduce yourself a little bit to the listeners. Sure. I'm Brooke Shanley. I live in the Ninth Ward okay. uh, in Kendall County, Aurora. So for those of you who are not fully aware, Kendall County spans, Kendall, I'm sorry, Aurora spans four counties. So Kane, DuPage, Kendall, and a small slice of Will. So I live down in Kendall County, um, right actually on the county line between Kendall and Kane. Okay. The county line runs behind the dumpster of my apartment complex. So, <laughs> location, <laughs> um, location. Yes, right? it's all about location. It's all about location. Um, so I'm over down by 34 in Farnsworth. Okay. So over by, uh, what's it, Rush Copley? Yeah, Rush Copley but, area. But not quite that far east, yeah. Okay. And uh, I am a school teacher. Uh, this is my 19th year teaching. I have, until this year, um, taught everything from K through 8, um, either in tra- transitional bilingual programming or in dual language classrooms, okay. spending most of my time in fourth and fifth grade throughout my career. Um, I did spend about 10 years adjuncting as a Spanish professor um, here in Aurora at Obansi Community College and then also at Moraine Valley Community College. Okay. Um, and I am currently a K-5 through bilingual special education resource teacher, um, which means what I have the great privilege of doing is working with students in grades K-5 through who have difficulties learning. Um, and I get to help design uh, individualized education plans for them to target their very specific needs to help them close the gap between what they're currently achieving and what the grade level standards are. And I get to do that in three different elementary school buildings across the day with students who are only in the dual language program and I provide their services in Spanish. And is that for just one district? It is one district. Okay. What district is that? That is uh, CCSD 93, which is part of Bloomingdale, Carroll Stream, and Hanover Park. Okay. So um, in your time with dual language and and teaching those young folks, what's been the key? Why is it hard for them to, I mean, they all learn at different speeds, I'm sure, but what's been a, like a consistent theme and challenge? Um, honestly, because I've been across districts, I, I don't know if there necessarily is a consistent okay. theme. Every student is their own individual person. Okay. So, the, for example, you and I, we do very different things in our day-to-day lives, right, mm-hmm. as far as our careers. And, and my strengths and, and talents and my weaknesses are very different from your strengths and talents and weaknesses, sure. right? Like, nobody wants me running Good Morning Aurora. <laughs> this would not be... The smartest moves. <laughs> and while well, they I started could, at eleven o'clock today, <laughs> pretty much. Um, <laughs> I mean, could I get the job done? Sure, sure. Right. But I, it's not in my my wheelhouse of of talents. Right. right. So just like we have different skills and talents, and different challenges that we face in life, our students come with the same same thing. Right. Each right. one is very uniquely themselves, and. I don't know, like one kid might really pick up on math and the other might gravitate more towards art or PE or reading. And so it's really finding, it's about finding each child's unique abilities mm-hmm. and making them feel so confident in those abilities and really building up that skill set that it helps transfer to those areas uh, that are more challenging. Right. So that they're more likely and more willing to put forth that extra effort help lift that area up as well. Um, now, this is this next question is going to be at the college level. So I think it was Wabonzi Community College opened up the Latinx Resource Center. And it's we, about time. Yeah. It is, so, it's about time. And I have the, aha, I have the story here, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. It's a desk full of news. I better have it. Um, now, Monica went to this. 
She took pictures and detailed what was going on. Great. Friends of ours, Griselda Franklin, all kinds of good stuff. My question is, and this is at the college level, so doesn't that particularly, uh, you know, uh, mean much to you at your level with the teaching, but do the youngsters at CCSD and those schools, I mean, do they need a Latinx resource center? Is it needed in the places that you've worked? Have you seen a, you know, what the benefits of it could bring? Or is that something that more of a college level to even uh, discuss? I think as far as the Latinx Resource Center, I think this is definitely very college level specific Okay. for students. Um, it's dealing with grants and things like that. Right, so, but, right. What I do see at the elementary level or in the K-12 level that is similar yet different um, is we have bilingual parent advisory councils. Okay. And we have positions in school districts such as the uh, parent liaison. And these positions work. Right. to help connect the community and the families and the parents with the resources that they need. So very much like the Latinx Resource Center will connect our youth with the resources they need. Mm -hmm. um, when we're talking K-12, we're really talking about working with minors, and so we, do, we work specifically in mm, supporting the parents and the families to be sure. able to do what they need right. to do. That's and so their... it looks a little bit different. Okay. Um, 19... It's your nineteenth year. Yeah. Why uh, K through twelve? Why only K through twelve? You don't. You know. I yeah. do K eight. <laughs> I do K eight. I'm not taught nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Okay. K eight. I'm sorry. <laughs> because I'm not licensed for it. Ah. Okay. Okay. K eight. Um, did you ever think at the beginning of these years that you would be here nineteen years, or did were you a lifer when you started? No, honestly, I I wasn't even the person that grew up dreaming of becoming an educator. Hmm. It was not in my plans. It wasn't even a blip on my radar. I, right. I um, anybody who knows me knows that you know my story is I fell into education accidentally hmm. or not so accidentally because right. I I do believe that the universe has plans for us. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> but, you never know when it'll, right? <laughs> right, you never know. And you just have to trust your intuition and, and follow follow your, your path, right? And my path has led me here. Um, you know, the first half of my career, and as I first became involved in union work, too, it listening to other educators talk about their stories about how they've known ever since they were a kid that they were going to be a teacher, right? It was their dream, and they would set up the desks in their basement with their stuffed animals and do right. all this, and I'm going... And I would tell my mom to raise her hand when she wanted to talk to me. Yeah, I would, I would get the worst case of imposter syndrome <laughs> because I'm like, that was that was not me. Yeah. That was not me. Um, I was a good student up until high school, and uh, I my plan was to major in English literature and do a double major in poli sci and go on to law school. That that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an attorney. Didn't plan on being a teacher. Hmm. But um you know, life life had other plans for me and you know, things happened and I dropped out of high school. I graduated with my class. It was a unique circumstance, mm -hmm. but um didn't end up starting college until I was 26, 27, like full right. time, full time, right? right? Not the class here or there, but full time university till I was 26, 27. And by that point, I was like, wow, I, I need a plan because I'm tired of working four and five jobs at the same time to try to pay the bills and right. not having insurance and all of what comes with that, right? Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed the Spanish language. And I said, okay, well, if I'm going to do this and I don't have time to mess around, and change my major 80 million times, right. nor the finances to do that. Um, I'm going to study something that I enjoy. If I study something that I enjoy, mm -hmm. I am going to find what I'm supposed to do. What did you like about the Spanish language that turned that made you want to uh, pursue that? You know, honestly, I've, I've always liked it. Um, there were Spanish-English dictionaries in my house growing up. Mm -hmm. um, my mom had majored in Spanish in college and became was licensed to be a Spanish teacher, but 
didn't speak Spanish and never used it at home and never talked to us about it, never became a teacher. Um, but her old college dictionaries were on our bookcase at home. Right. And as even as a child, I'd sit there and read them. I was kind of nerdy even back then, but <laughs> shout out to all the nerds out there, right? Oh, yeah. I grew, up with, uh, I grew up with, well, um, with the National Geographic. Okay. And we got some... Here they were donated by friends of the show. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, I, I grew yeah, up. Yeah, they had the set of the Funkin' Wagnalls inside the Yes, yes. So yeah, oh, if there was a God. book on if there was a book on the bookcase, I was pulling it down, and sometimes that was the uh, Spanish English dictionary. And of course, I didn't really know, and Lord knows I didn't know how to pronounce any of the words in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I pretended as a little kid to sit there and read it, and just then moving on through middle school and stuff, just got into listening to different music on cassette tapes because that was a thing right on my little pink boom box <laughs> <laughs> i know you know what i'm talking about oh i know yeah <laughs> With the cd on top oh no this was before cds oh <laughs> <laughs> i don't know cds did not exist <laughs> <laughs> um wow okay yeah and i would follow along with the lyrics that were in the little pamphlet that came i remember that, that yeah, that, day, yeah right yeah. and and that was kind of what helped me with pronunciation and accent and i took little breaks here and there mm-hmm. in my in my coursework but yeah i ended up majoring in that in college and just figuring i'd end up where i needed to be right so um now during this time are you still you had the idea of being an attorney? Was that still that? Was that still a blip? Was that still flashing? I still wanted the, to. Okay. I still wanted to, but the logical part of my brain said, "There's not enough time and money, sure, to do all the education involved, right. in becoming an attorney." I know better now because the amount of time and money I've dumped into grad classes for right. education has uh, far surpassed what I would have invested in yeah. <laughs> law school. So. Um, well, life is life is like that, you know. Life is yes. like that, but life is uh, life is very beautiful. I I always liked listening to the Spanish language, but trying to like learn and practice, you know, it's one of those things where you know your teacher tells you about math. You know, well, you better pay attention because you're going to need it everywhere. I think she was a little bit wrong. I think Spanish is what she actually meant because <laughs> that you know I moved to California and it really became right. helpful. Um, but at what time did you start thinking, you know what, I'm going to use my talents to help youth specifically in the, in dual language? When was, when was that the thought in your head? Um, well, so in 2003, I moved to Mexico for a little while and went to college, went to college there for, for a bit. And then came back and graduated and said, okay, I need a job. I don't know what I'm going to do. The pursuit for jobs, I right? I have graduated. I have a BA in Spanish. What do I do with this? And I was waiting tables part-time. Mm-hmm. And I worked for an organization in Naperville um, called Little Friends. I did in-home respite care with um, for families of children with autism. Okay. Um, and I came across in the classified ads of the newspaper because this was a thing still. <laughs> oh, I remember, I, I remember that. Looking for jobs Looking in the for newspaper. Jobs in the newspaper. Oh, yeah, where are they hiring? Yep. <laughs> and uh, found an ad for a part-time pre-K through fourth grade Spanish teacher. Okay. Um, at a little private institution where you weren't required to have a teaching license because it was a private institution mm-hmm. and. I said, well, I've got nothing to lose. Let's apply. And uh, I'm still friends with the administrator that hired me. That's good. And she's an Aurora resident as well. Awesome. So that was the beginning. That was the genesis of the... That was the beginning, yeah. And then I found out about um, emergency licensure um, because not only was I teaching Spanish there part-time, but I ended up picking up another part-time gig at... District 203 in Naperville as a bilingual teacher aide, and their director of um, English language programming told me about emergency certification and how I could use that to fast track my license, and it would be temporary and contingent upon... The emergency certification is temporary. Emergency certification at that time was good for 
like four or five years and then you could renew it for up to three years and okay. then after that it was done and yeah, it was contingent upon you going back to school and actually right. getting a professional educator after seven years you shouldn't be using training wheels anymore so to right speak. okay right so what i needed to do in order to get that was obtain a substitute teaching license okay. which anybody with a bachelor's degree could do at the time um and i say at the time because i think the uh requirements are very similar today but i don't follow it so okay i'm not sure if there's maybe a couple more pieces um that have been added and uh i went and got my substitute teaching license because all you needed was a bachelor's degree mm -hmm. and to pay the state their their fee right <laughs> and, uh, and then I signed up to take a, a test to prove my proficiency in Spanish okay and this state issue test lasted for it was allotted four or five hours and it had four different parts it was reading speaking listening and writing okay um, and then provided that I passed all four domains on there then I could send that plus my substitute license receipt into the uh, State Board of Education and ISBE. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, obtain a teaching certificate. All right. And then I started teaching. Yeah, just like that. Just like that. Okay. Well, it wasn't just like that. There were, that's, that was a, <laughs> was a, a process. That was a work, yeah. It was a Interesting. process. Very yeah. good. Congratulations. And here I am. All right. On Good Morning Aurora. See? On Good Morning Aurora. <laughs> um, so. Right now, ladies and gentlemen, good morning to everybody. It is 818. Uh, we are here with our dear friend of the show, Brooke Shanley, for a part two. Uh, good to see you again. Glad that, so glad that you're back. Glad that you're back. Um, the show's coming along. We, re, uh, we did a little bit of redecorating in here, too, so the next time some of you are in this location, you will see it. Monica, if you'd be so kind, can you take me to a commercial? I do have some local topics to give to you great folks uh, but first things first I'm going to uh, you know what guys listen let me tell you something you have to make sure that your news is squared away because I am a very organized person as you guys know but sometimes my news does get the best of me aha Monica I do have breaking news can you play that sound Right. Aurora Central Catholic High School hosts their 26th annual Super Saturday Night Fundraiser. Uh, ACC is a school committed to the spiritual formation and education of young adults in the Fox Valley for over 50 years. They will host the 26th annual Super Saturday Night Fundraiser May 5th through the 7th. The hybrid fundraiser will provide participants with a guilt-free shopping experience. Guilt-free. So you can buy whatever you want. Don't have to feel bad about it. Oh, you know what? I didn't even buy my mom a gift. I should take these Nikes back. No. It's guilt-free. Guilt-free shopping experience that will help support student programs, maintain low tuition costs, and advance the school's new strength and fitness center. This year's Cinco de Mayo theme, get ready for this, Nacho Average Celebration. Hit the corny thing. I think it's five. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Perfect, yeah. Nacho Average Celebration. Uh, it'll feature a silent auction, raffles, and a virtual fund-to-need program. Uh, the event will give students, parents, alumni, and local community members the opportunity to support ACC while honoring the school's outstanding alumni of and volunteer of the year. Shouts out to our friends of ACC. Uh, and Mr. Sean Biederman. Sean Biederman. He's a friend of the show. He is the head baseball coach. We interviewed him, and uh, it was awesome. Also, the Aurora Boy Scouts host, hold Post the Colors fundraiser. Uh, this is the fourth annual Post the Colors fundraiser. It'll be held by Boy Scout Blackhawk Troop 11 at Wesley United Methodist Church in Aurora. Reservations are being accepted for the program, in which pairs of uniformed scouts place flags in subscribers' yards or at Aurora Police Station by 7 a.m. and retrieve the flags by 7 p.m., Daily, saluting each time. For $25, scouts will post flags on Memorial Day, Flag Day, 4th of July, and Labor Day. In 2021, Blackhawk scouts posted about 350 flags in Aurora, North Aurora, Sugar Grove, and Montgomery. According to Marianne Longo, spokeswoman for the troop, quote, scouts rise and shine early to post flags on holidays when most kids are sleeping in on their day off. That's what I'm... 
I love it. Hit the class. <laughs> they started sunrise and take one to two hours to cook. I love it. See, that's the energy that you need to be a teacher mm-hmm. or an educator or a local radio host. Okay, so that's good news there. Uh, and now let's get back to our conversation. So let's talk about. I want to stick with this, and then we'll get to the Kendall County Democrat because education is important, and you know how we do. You know that to us, the human is what matters. So here's my question: What is the biggest impact that COVID era has had on education, in your opinion, and then on yourself in education? Sure. Um, You know, keeping the student focused, what I have seen um, during, well, when COVID first hit, I was working in East Aurora. Right. Right. So I finished out that year with my second graders and was very blessed to be able to continue with them. I looped with them, as we say in education. Mm -hmm. So I went with them and was their third grade teacher as well, which was hugely beneficial to have that consistency and already have those relationships established with right. the students and their families, right? Um, so I stayed with them for all of third grade, and then this year I switched school districts. Um, but during that period, you know, it everything was new and every day was different um, in so much as what was coming out on the news, right? Right. And and what was happening with my students and their families, whether it be their immediate families that they lived with or family members that maybe didn't live inside their home but still lived close by or mm-hmm. within the vicinity um, or even in other countries, right? Right. Um, the students, I found, were just adjusting, adjusting to life remotely right to being to being in their homes mm-hmm. to the different precautions that we had to take um children are very resilient mm-hmm. when when they have the when they have when they're surrounded with strong relationships and they have supports um they will thrive because of their resiliency but at the same point in time it was you could see it was stressful right, right. and 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 they missed the um the contact and the community that that is built within a classroom right that just can't be replicated remotely no it cannot um we can come close but it's it's never the same as being face to face with someone mm-hmm. right and the interactions there so things that i did at that point in time were i would open up a zoom link in the afternoons and i called it homework club but it really wasn't for homework um, and all my students knew they could pop in any time during that window. It would be what I guess college kids would say or high school students would say is like office hours, right? Right. But it wasn't to meet with me unless they wanted to come and chat with me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because there's a lot of that that happens day to day in the classroom that people don't realize, right? Yes, it's it's about the academics and the a- academics are just extremely important. But to achieve academically, you need to have the relationships. And so there is a lot of conversation and chit-chat and, and, and familiar, familiarity that, that is just derived in that community setting. And so I was trying to build that into a, a Zoom platform, so to speak, right. right? And so I would have students pop on. And example, like one, one little girl would pop on. She'd be like, oh, is so-and-so here yet? Or this person. And I was like, no, are they coming? And these are third graders. She's like, yes, I emailed them, and I told them, and mm-hmm. we made arrangements to come here on this link at this time. Third graders emailing each other. Right. Building this skill set to uh, connect with each other and establish an appointment to meet at a certain place for yeah. a social interaction. Those are skills that third graders don't have typically. Right. Um, so they would do that, and the other girls would pop on or whoever was coming into the group, and they'd ask for a breakout room. I put them in a breakout room, and I'd go check on them. Right, and they were coloring together and showing each other their pictures and just talking about school. Sometimes they'd help each other with a homework problem, um, but it was very much a social setting stuff that would mimic recess or or just some of those community times that we have in a classroom. Right, 
Um, I would have one student who would pop on frequently and he would take me on a tour of his house. Um, and he, or he'd be like, I just thought you would be lonely without us, Miss Shanley. And so I wanted to come keep you company. I didn't want you sitting here all alone. And he would just like spread out his coloring materials on the floor and draw pictures and just chit chat. And he'd take his iPad and, and show me the snowman he built outside. And so it was a way to still continue to develop those relationships, um, to help support them through this, this remote period of COVID, right? Um, now where I'm at, what I see, and I see it working across three elementary buildings in, in all grades, K through five, mm -hmm. is just kind of the skills that haven't been developed um, because the opportunity hasn't been there to develop them. And I'm not even talking academics. The, the biggest challenge this year has been helping students learn how to actually interact with other people, hmm. other students specifically, um, because they haven't been in, in situations where they, they learn those, those strategies of engagement, if you right. will, um, where it's about collaborating, where it's about sharing, where if you're playing a game, you might lose sometimes, and right. what do you do when? Right. Um, how to actually be a student in the classroom and, and building the stamina to be able to attend to a task and attend to expectations that are consistent with education. Mm. Um, because they haven't had to sit in a place for that many hours in a day, right? And right. as educators, we build in the movement breaks, right? We're required to do that. Um, we have movement breaks. We we do different. We employ different strategies of um, instructional design. So we'll do small group, more than whole group, and one on one, and conferencing, and partner work. And so every time we change those activities, we provide for a movement break to help students to reset. Right. Because the average attention of any individual is one minute per each year of age that they have, and that pretty much wait, stops wait, at wait. ten. Let's okay. <laughs> so, if a student is five years old, mm -hmm. they should be able to attend to a task for five minutes, and then they need a reset. So you change the engage, you change the method of engagement, or you give them the opportunity to stand up and move to another place, gotcha. or you do something. Okay, because the brain needs to reset. Right. As adults, we do it all the time, but we know how to reset, and and as an, it basically caps at ten minutes. Okay. So even the average adult has about a ten minute uh, attention span, and, but we do it in ways that aren't as noticeable, and we they're just habits to us. So we might recross our legs, right, or we might take a drink of our coffee, right? And these are very socially acceptable things. But students, you need to change the activity more frequently to maintain their engagement. And they also don't have that built those built-in strategies and, and the self-control right. that hasn't developed yet fully to be able to reset the way we do as adults, right? Gotcha. Having experienced the world for a much longer period of time. Right. And so, you know, during remote time, everything's digital, everything's coming like this. So we already had, before COVID, issues with attention and engagement and focus. Now, after being remote for so long, we have that amplified. Right. Plus, we've had the absence, absence of learning how to function within a group in person and learning about organizing materials in a desk. Mm and learning about how to walk yourself down the hallway of a building to a bathroom and how do you behave in the lunchroom um whereas these are things that would have been typical before what do you do when you come into school you take off your coat you put it on your hook right, right? or you put it in your locker depending how the school's set up no these are not automatics these have needed to be um taught explicitly right. and developed um, and just how do we talk to our friends? How do we talk to them? Because we're not texting them. Right. And and the friends we have in class are very different than who we might be engaging with at home. Um, so 
so just even those interpersonal skills and it's it's been very challenging and very stressful when you're trying to do all that and add academics on top of that wow so for students it's definitely been very stressful um we've witnessed a lot more uh emotional struggle right meltdowns um anger um because big feelings come out in big ways when 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 you haven't learned yet how to how to appropriately manage them right right or even to recognize what they are hmm. so we we've seen a lot of that and then you know as as teachers we're 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 working to meet those needs because if those emotional and social needs aren't met and those skills aren't developed then academics goes out the window right right exactly so we're trying to work with all that and still manage the academic expectations which by the way have not changed or even flexed at all to accommodate for covid yeah so these students who have been out of the classroom remotely well i i'm not a fan of the term learning loss because i think it's more of students learn different skills that they wouldn't have learned otherwise right so it was more learning differently. Um, when you have someone who hasn't been in a classroom in almost two years, and they come in as a second grader, and now as a second grader, this is their first like really in-person school experience, and they're expected to be reading and writing and performing math at a second grade level. Right. But they haven't had the in-person ability to do that, let alone the school structure to do that. Big challenge. Right? Yeah. Huge, huge challenges to close gaps because students are performing, but there are still gaps. Right. Um, and yet teacher evaluation and performance is, is based on students achieving grade level standards. So the expectations for educators haven't modified either. That's... Uh... That's sad. That's my stomach growling. <laughs> Did the mic pick that up? Brooke heard it. Like his brother's. His brother. Can somebody send his brother a donut or something? This is insane. Uh, well, I'm starved for I'm starved for knowledge. That's what the. There you go. There you go. Um, well, it typically seems like the checks and balances are always the last to update, right? It's always yeah. the, the you know the hoops we have to jump through that have to be assessed. Um, that's unfortunate. Yeah, it is unfortunate. And then, you know, we've had all this hoopla mm -hmm. with with school boards across the country, not not just locally, not where I'm at specifically, right. although it's, you know, it, it's it's very abroad. It's very much a broad occurring circumstance, um, whether it be about masking or not masking, which mm -hmm. seems to have died down a bit now that, you know, the uh, oh, the numbers and everything the numbers yeah. have yeah. come down and restrictions have been lifted. Um, but there are other things in play, and school boards are hugely important. I see that. Well, I've, I've always known that they were important. What I've seen, though, and I think this is something that we spoke about when we were uh, hanging out, was that, I, you know, it used to be school board meetings were, for all intents and purposes on the outside looking in, the most boring meetings where nothing <laughs> happened ever. You know, now we know different. We, we know that early. important decisions have always been taken at school board meetings. Mm -hmm. That's been going on. But, yeah, nobody cared about school. You know, your average person didn't care about school. Now they are the the epicenter mm -hmm. of a lot of the cultural issues, rather. They're taking place at school board meetings. That's unfortunate. It It is. It The way in which it's happening is unfortunate. Um, I am a proponent of community members attending school board meetings okay. and, and speaking during public comments when it can be done respectfully. Okay, right. Because those are your elected officials and they're there to represent, you know, while they're there to manage the school budget and make sure right. the school district is, is high performing. Um, they're there to represent their constituency, which are the families yep. in the school attending the, that are eligible to attend the school district, whether or not they have students there. Right. Um, and a lot of times, you know, for for many different reasons, people don't 
attend school board meetings and they don't voice their concerns during public comments. And if I have learned anything in, in my years of teaching, it's that a parent who speaks during public comments at a school board meeting can make much more happen and wields much more power than a group of, than a teacher or, you know, a small group of teachers going to that same board meeting and voicing the same type of concerns. Right? Isn't that sad? Well, no, we're just talking here, but no, it's, it's, that's, it's that's, that's a fact, yeah. The you can parent's be, you can voice have... wields much more power and mm. changes will happen much more quickly. Right when parents are respectfully addressing the school boards right. with facts. And not, and just to clarify, too, I wasn't saying it's unfortunate that parents are now getting more involved in school mm-hmm. board meetings. It's just the but fashion. It's just what's It's how happening. it's happening. It, it's how it's happening, right? Yeah. How it's happening is absolutely <clears throat> ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And, and what, you know, and as far as school board elected officials goes, you know, for, for people who don't know, school board officials are elected, but they're not compensated. It is very much a glorified volunteer opportunity. Right. And they are there to serve and, and they are giving of their time and their expertise. Right. Um, oftentimes even, you know, having to research various topics to make sure that they understand them before they look at the you know, the, the resolutions and stuff coming right. their way, right? And and that needs to be respected, whether or not you're in agreement with what's happening. Um, and that's not happening right now with all the all the uh, different incidents and the people up in arms and and causing chaos at school boards. That's it's just not okay. There are school board members that you know receive threats mm-hmm. or are re- have or intimidation tactics are employed yeah. um, via email or in person mm-hmm. or on the phone, right? Um, and, and that is not okay to the point that, you know, some school board members have chosen to step down right. in midterm or have decided that they won't be running again. They'll finish out their term, but they won't run again. And so we're going to end up losing good people on the school board because other people choose to come in and oftentimes aren't even residents yeah. in that school district's boundaries yeah. um, and just cause, cause chaos and, and, and are very disrespectful to our school board members. So, you know, we, we need to see a shift. We need to see people coming to school board meetings who are actually part of that school district community. Right. Um, and that doesn't mean you have students in the school, but that you live within the district boundaries. And that they're coming and they're addressing the school board in a respectful fashion. You don't have to agree and you can most certainly present opposing viewpoints, but do so respectfully so that your voice is fully heard. Right. And understand what you're what you're speaking to because critical race theory is one of the topics that mm. is causing a lot of chaos at school boards, right? After the masking issue has died right. down. And and it was it was there before and it's been there since. Um, but a lot of people don't even know what that, what that is. Yeah, it's at the university level. <laughs> it, Why are it, you going to the, a middle school? It is not something that yeah. is taught. Right. It is not something that is taught in K-12 education. In fact, it doesn't even, it's taught as an elective course right. for very specific tracks at the postgraduate level. Right. Um, and, and the percentage of people that opt in to take it are, are is so small. It's It's not something right. that's taught so that... So when people come to school boards and are up in arms about this, yeah, they're up in arms about something that isn't impacting. Right. It's like your kids gluing macaroni and sprinkling glitter on it for Martin Luther King Day <laughs> is not critical. You know, it's but that's right. We we laugh, but that is the that is the misrepresentation of the whole. I mean, it is. The sad part about it is people are receiving, to your point, they are receiving threats or intimidation or nasty, profane emails over things that aren't even happening. Imaginary garbage they're reading on Twitter. You know, it's it's right. it's it's very, it is sad. It is sad. Um, now, what I do, th- what, what I like about the current system that 
I hate to use the word system. Yikes. <laughs> what I what I am liking about the way education is shaping. You mentioned that you know parents can get things done at a school board meeting quicker than teachers can with the same issue. What I do like is that I, I do believe that a lot of through all this churning of the storm, a lot of good ideas are being discovered. And a lot of the not so good ideas and things that have been going on are also being discovered. Like I, I think there is a growing pain through all of this, or is that, or am I looking at it? You know, am I looking at it with rose-colored glasses? You know, is there any benefit that's going to be gained out of all of this gnashing of the teeth and everything at the school board meetings? I would like to hope so. Okay. I would like to hope so. I'm looking at it from a from a, you know from a purely optimistic standpoint I don't attend the school board meetings and things yeah, like that. Yeah. No, I mean, I would hope so. I I'm I believe strongly that it's important to have opposing views. Yeah. I believe strongly that people with opposing views should engage in productive mm-hmm. conversations. And that may mean that you simply agree to disagree at the end of the day, but that you've heard each other out because even if you hear each other out in a respectful fashion, right? somehow the belief you came in with shifts a little bit because you've gained something from the conversation mm-hmm. and that's how progress is made to move forward in, in a stronger, better direction. But, you know, as an educator in the thick of it, it's it's really hard right it's really hard for us right now yeah. um we're at a breaking point and i can't tell you how many conversations have been had in teacher lounges um across across the country because i talk with colleagues of mine across the country um where people are just like i don't know if i can do another year of this mm-hmm. because the expectations and the job load is so much more than just teaching academics right um basically you know the education system it has become a catch-all for all of the struggles within society yeah and so everything from having to be child care providers mm-hmm. to nourishing our students with food um, to addressing social emotional issues and teaching just good human behavior um, and expectations. It's it's all fallen into public education, but nothing has been taken away from our responsibilities. Right. And so eventually, I don't know if you remember, when I was a kid, we had this game at home called Don't Tip the Waiter. It's this little cardboard waiter guy with a little tray, and mm-hmm. you put pieces of food on the tray, and the goal was not to tip them over. Kind of like Jenna, okay. like you pull the pieces out, and you right. don't topple the tower. And I feel like in education, we're playing a game of don't tip the waiter. Uh. Right? Like, more and more and more and more keeps getting added to that plate, but nothing is getting taken away. And eventually, right. it's going to fall over. Going to hit a point where it falls over and, and things fall apart. Um, and I'm hoping we don't get to that point. I hope not. I either. hope that there are some shifts that are made, but seeing legislation that's um moving in other states as far as like Indiana had a bill that was moving through about teachers needing to pl- uh provide a year's worth of lesson plans up front and just the nature of education and some of these things that have gone through in other states that thankfully I know wouldn't even make it to the floor here in right. Illinois. Um you know, it it's nerve-wracking yeah. for educators because we're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What I plan to do today may not even happen today because someone may not have slept last night or someone's family member may have been sick or maybe they came to school and they didn't eat right. or, you know, whatever. All these things cause our plans and how we introduce materials and, and, and instruction to change on a day-to-day basis. So to be beholden possibly to providing a year of plans up front, it's just going to cost more teachers to to leave the profession. Sad. Uh, the time is eight forty five. Uh, so I wanted to. I think Sally Bice, you speak the truth. I'm so sorry you all must go through this. Don't leave yet. It will get better. It has to. Thank you, Sally. We appreciate that. Um, you know that's 
and again, non-educators making decisions instead of listening to those on the ground. Thank you, Josie. Social emotional learning has been the priority. Good morning, Aurora, to you. Right back at you, Josie. Um, teachers have always been asked to do more than teach, all with little or no support or resources. Teacher burnout is real. And Michael Rayford, good morning to you. Um, so I want to shift from the educational aspect to the Kendall County Democrats. Yeah. Let's talk about the Kendall County Democrats. Uh, you are the chair. I am the chair. You are the chairwoman of the Dem- uh, Kendall County Democrats. Congratulations. Thank you. That recently happened, right? That did. That happened for the <laughs> no, no, no. You're still running Good Morning Aurora. I told you at the beginning this was not my skill set and uh, not in my wheelhouse. <laughs> so um, so as chairwoman, what are the priorities for the KCD? I know you guys are a team. We are I know, a team. I know that you guys are a team, but if you can, what are the priorities and goals? Sure. So um, right now we are looking at entering... Um, you know, looking at supporting our candidates moving forward into the primary. The primary is June 28th. That's right. Um, applications for mail-in voting uh, ballots has already opened. So go whatever county you live in, go to your county clerk's website, and you should be able to request your mail-in ballot. Um, that has officially started. That started March 30th, so very recently, just a couple days ago. Um, go to your county clerk's website and they will have all that information so you can request it so it can come to your house to vote in the primary which is taking place June 28th. Obviously there will be early voting opportunities coming up. Please vote. Voting is the way for you to make sure that your voice is heard. Um, Know too when you're voting when you are faced with a question on the ballot where it says you can vote up to so many. For example in Kendall County Along with most counties, all of their uh, county board seats are up right. this cycle um, due to redistricting and all that. Mm-hmm. So it's it's the cycle where everybody's up for election. So in Kendall County, different from Kane County, we only have two districts. We have 10 seats on the county board. We have two districts. We have five seats in each district. So people in District 2, my district, right, where I live, they will have a choice to vote for up to five candidates. Just because you can vote for up to five candidates doesn't mean you are required to select five candidates. Exactly. You can choose to vote for only the candidates that you wish to be elected, right? So know that that is in in your right to do so because not everybody knows that. Um, And then in the primary, whoever wins in the primary election goes on to then the the general General. election in, in November. So the primary is a way of kind of um, whittling down the the playing field, so to speak, mm-hmm. so that you have the exact number of candidates for the exact number of positions in that, in that general election in November. Um, so right now, our goal is to support our candidates okay. who will be hopefully our elected officials that service Kendall County, right. um, whether that be county board members, state legislators, um, you know, our state reps, our, our senators, and then our Congress people. Uh, Kendall County is currently served by uh, Congresswoman Lauren Underwood. Her district is all of Kendall County, which is really exciting. Um, And she does have part of Aurora, and her campaign team recently opened an office up on Galena, right in between uh, La France Bakery and Central. Mm -hmm. So right there, their door is right in between the two bakeries. They're open every day till 5, so please go stop by. They have signs. They have all sorts of opportunities for you. Um, but, um, yeah, go stop by and say hi. It's right in the neighborhood. And uh, then, you know, we have some of our other wonderful Democratic legislators, right, that serve as Kendall County. So Assistant Majority Leader in the Senate, Linda Holmes, mm-hmm. um, Rep. Stephanie Kifowit, right, and then our county board candidates are running as well. So we have some good county board candidates running. Brooke Shanley is amazing. She's very supportive of local business, and we love seeing her at downtown events. I concur. Thank you, Marissa. Scott mm-hmm. Hayes, good morning to you. Maria Chirito, good morning to you. Teachers are asked to be parents and educators. Your voice is your vote. Thank you, Casildo. Um, okay, so what is the what time? Is it eight fifty one? What's the strength of the party in? The county, in Kendall County. How are we doing? Is it all right? Yeah, um, you know, Kendall County has historically been a Republican. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the last couple cycles, we have started to turn it a bit more purple than red. Okay. Um, 
obviously, as the chair of the Democratic Party, I'd like to see that be a bright blue. Sure. But um, we're getting there. And yeah. the, the strength of any county party comes from its members, from its uh, precinct committee people, is what we call them. And, and they are the people who work as a liaison and a point of contact between the countywide party and the people in their neighborhood because a precinct is just a neighborhood district, right? That's all so it is. that's all it is. So it's about really getting to know your neighbors and providing them with information of who's on the ballot, what are the issues that you know they're advocating for, when and where and how can you vote, and reminding them, have you voted? Or can you, you know, make sure you go vote if they haven't voted yet, right? Those friendly reminders. And that is the role of the precinct committee person. And without them, the party doesn't go anywhere because it's all They're like about, the bosom men on a ship. Yeah. You know, just like we said earlier in our conversation about school boards, how a parent who lives in the community wields a lot more power, right? right? We're, we're talking about the community level without community engagement without community members coming out to vote, without community members being fully aware of what the issues are, we don't go anywhere. Right. Right? And it's the same It's the same with the Democratic Party. Now, you guys have meetings. We do. When are the The meetings? Kendall County Democratic Commit, uh, Party committees are the third Wednesday of every month. Okay. At 7 p.m. We have our main office at 10 South Main Street in Oswego. And we hold our meetings in a hybrid fashion. So our office is open to those who wish to attend in person. And it is all, our meetings are also held concurrently on Zoom. So we have a TV set up so everybody can see the people who are attending via Zoom. Okay. Because Kendall County goes all the way down into the northern part of Manuka, right? And it, and it goes further west. It becomes increasingly rural as we move west. Right. And so... For people to come to a one-hour meeting when they're going to spend more time in their their car right yeah. and we recognize that everybody has other commitments as well we want to make sure that we are providing multiple opportunities for access because access is critical um now how are the efforts of getting out there with the folks in kim county and everything like that? i mean i know we're just Canvassing going on right now? Um, canvassing is starting. I know Lauren Underwood's team is recruiting volunteers. They're having an event actually at their uh, Aurora campaign office this Saturday, I believe, from 9 to 2. So okay. you can check online, and there will be information about that on the Kendall County Democratic website um, okay. later today. Um, but, but yeah, they're, they're already, they've been pushing canvassing events for, for some time now. Okay. Um, but, you know, as far as uh, countywide candidates... I am working to support some newer candidates in running for office for okay. Kendall County Board. And so we're doing some training sessions coming up so that they understand the different pieces and don't feel like they're left out high and dry without knowing what to do. And um, yeah, that's where we're going right now. Sally Bice says, love Linda and Stephanie. Yeah, we do too. They are friends of the show. PCs, uh, precinct committee men also help people run for office, inform people of who is up for re-election. Mm -hmm. We are also the go-between between the community and elected officials. Hit the like button for that. I said hit the like. Where did it go? Okay, elected. <laughs> uh, so the time is 8.54. So how can we help you? How can we, the community, help you, Brooke? By staying engaged. Okay. By staying engaged, um, you know, the work here at Good Morning Aurora is is really crucial to, to the community of Aurora. Um, it really helps get um, matters into the hands of the public that they might not otherwise get to because it takes time and money um, to go buy a newspaper, right? Or to just have the time to sit down and read it. Who's got that right now? But they can plug into your podcast while they're driving in the morning. That's right. Or, you know, when they get home or on their lunch break, and it helps to get some of those issues across that, you know, while people want to be engaged, sometimes the day-to-day -day just doesn't allow for it. Right. Um, so staying engaged is hugely important. Um, on, on a personal note, I am participating in Mutual Grounds Walk for Hope. That's right. Um, May 15th. And I have committed to raising $1,000. Um, so if anybody listening here feels so inclined, I would appreciate a small donation. Um, you can go to the Mutual Ground website and click on Walk for Hope, and they will show you who all is a fundraiser. And you just click on my picture, and it will let you donate. 
Awesome. And that's taking place in Batavia, right? In Batavia on May 15th, I believe, is the correct date. Okay. Mutual Ground, Walk for Hope. We, we put a lot of Mutual Ground news out there for folks, so uh, Mutual Ground yeah, we're, is, we're happy to shout them out. provides a great many services to the community, and it's nonprofit, and so those donations and their fundraisers are important, especially now when when monies are, are running thin. Yeah. Um, all right, so the time now, ladies and gentlemen, is 8.56. Um, Emily, good morning. What a this was a good one. What? Ah, well, they're all good ones. (laughs) (laughs) They're all good ones. Um, did we forget anything? I don't know. I don't think we did. We talked about Kendall County Democrats. Talked about education. I think we covered everything that I had burning questions about education. So I'm glad we did that. We talked about uh, school board meetings as we meant to. Your history with the district. Oh, here's a question I asked before we get out of here. Um, so we are now, you know, the pandemic is it's not behind us no. by any stretch. It's it's with us and everything. But are you optimistic about the current year and the future going forward, at least on a local level? What do you think about you know Aurora and things happening? You've seen some of the some of the news on the desk. What do you how are you feeling <laughs> about what's what's coming up? You know what? I like to remain optimistic. Okay. I, you know, a, a former colleague of mine gave me a, a sign one year said, it's all good, because apparently I say that a lot. Mm-hmm. And and I believe that everything is is all good. It's all good. And if it's right. not all good, then it's not done working itself out. Right. Right? Um, and it just means pushing through a little bit more. Um, and, and in that pushing through, you, you learn and you grow and you become in a sense, a different person than you were maybe a few moments earlier, right? Because now your life experience has changed. Um, I think the same thing happens with cities. Mm-hmm. I think the same thing happens in, in all avenues of life, right? We push through and we grow and we develop and, and we strive to do better. At least we should be striving to do better. I know last time uh, I was on the show, we talked about how... Um, COVID how I saw COVID as being this great pause, this great mm-hmm. t- moment of reflection, without which we wouldn't have stopped the, the running on our hamster wheels, right? Right. Um, I think now as we are beginning to see the light or beginning to see what the world looks like coming out of COVID is when we're truly going to be put to the test, so to speak, to see if we really took the time to reflect Mm. and learn and grow as individuals and to see if we're really willing and able and ready to do the work necessary Mm. to make the changes that need to happen. But I'm hopeful that that we're ready for that test and that that we're going to be able to achieve great things moving forward. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that. I kind of feel like, you know, eventually, perhaps the old norm may rear its ugly head and the hamster wheel will reappear, (laughs) right? And it's like, are you going to get back on that same or are you going to keep plugging forward? You know, because, you know, I work now for the company I volunteered for. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going, there ain't no hamster wheel in the world, no matter how gold the spokes are, that, you know, is more appealing than what we, you know, the current hamster cage. Yeah. Because it's all a cage. Despite all my rage, I still just rather... It's a little Music Friday for y'all. We've been doing this. We were trying to have Music Fridays, but my last guest, they they um, they got a newborn right now, so I can't get them on to play guitar without the baby. And Curtis, until the, until the kids squared away, man, we can't come. Okay. So me and Monica were talking about we might just sing next Friday. We might just do the music ourselves. All right. I can sing. Did you know that? No. Nobody else did. I'd either. love that's, a sample. Here's the mic. Oh uh, no, we're not going. <laughs> Where everybody go? <laughs> I know all the listeners out there want to hear you, and the mic is right here. <laughs> Tune in next next Friday. Um, Michelle Gums, booster up. Have a second booster no tell yet. Thank you very much. Have fun tonight, everyone. Still a few weeks Ooh, on the men. That's tonight. right. Before I can join you, great job, Brooke. Thank you, Michelle Gums. Michelle Gums is a dear friend of our show, dear friend, and her. Her yard sign is at my home. I rotate my signs. Okay. So it, it has been in the yard. It'll be back. 
Last thing before we go, peace and blessings, more love, good vibes. This is First Friday. You guys go out there and have a good night. The time is 9.01. But don't forget, it's also a special weekend because our great teammate, Monica, her birthday is Saturday. (gasps) Happy birthday. Happy birthday to Monica, all of you. Give Monica a happy birthday. We appreciate her. That's right. All of you wonderful people, have a great day. Have a great weekend. Take care of yourself and each other.